New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Today's guest, Patrice Vecchioni, has assembled a profound collection of poems that addresses the many issues confronting first- and second-generation immigrants and refugees. This volume celebrates the lives of these courageous souls who have, for generations, brought their creative spirits, resilience, resourcefulness, determination, and hard work to make this land a home. These poems from young people encourage readers to honor their own roots as well as offering empathy and hope for those who are struggling to overcome discrimination. Many of the struggles immigrant and refugee teens face head-on are also experienced by young people everywhere as they contend with isolation, self-doubt, confusion, and emotional dislocation. Join us for the next hour as we explore some of the most compelling and vibrant voices today as conveyed through the power of poetry with our guest, Patrice Vecchioni. Patrice Vecchioni is a poet, author, and artist. She teaches creative writing retreats as well as collage and poetry workshops. She has also worked with children leading classes in poetry and the imagination in elementary middle and high schools, often working with migrant children. She's the author of many books and anthologies, including Writing and the Spiritual Life, Finding Your Voice by Looking Within, Step into Nature, Nurturing Imagination and Spirit in Everyday Life, The Knot Untied, A Book of Poetry, Truth and Lies, an Anthology of Poems, and Ink Knows No Borders, Poems of the Immigrant and Refugee Experience. Join us for the next hour as we explore the territory of dignity as an essential human right with our guest, Patrice Vecchioni. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Patrice, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be sitting across from you. I, I would just love to go back and just ask you about how you started to work with these young people. And I know that you've worked a lot with migrant children and, and what, this, this whole project. What, what was the beginning of it? Well, so I, I've been teaching poetry to children for more than half of my life since I was 19. 
and I'm a little older than that now. (laughs) (laughs) And living in Central California, I live in Monterey. Many of the children in the public schools are migrant and immigrant kids. They're many of them first generation. Some of them are migrant. They travel back and forth between the United States and Mexico if they can. It's gotten harder, of course. And so in my work in the schools, um, I, that's who I encountered. And that, the little Spanish that I can speak was taught to me by my students because we wanted to have a language in common. They were learning English, and I was learning Spanish. So it's just been part of my work for a long time. I did some work with a program called Yo Puedo, which translates to mean I can in English, that was a program at UCS, the University of, of California, Santa Cruz, that brought high school students, high school migrant students, to the university where they lived for a month. And during that month, five days a week, I taught poetry to them, and we produced anthologies of their work. So it was difficult for parents to let them go, but on the last day, parents were invited, and that we did a poetry reading for the, for the families, and the pride, you have never seen so much pride as these parents had in their children, to see what they had accomplished and how smart they were, and how much they honored their heritage and their ancestors. I think that you have a, a poem that you could you could share with us. I don't know if it came out of that program or not. It but. was a younger child at a school in Watsonville, and his name, uh, I don't even know how old he is now. It was a long time ago. He's probably a grandfather by now. His name is Daniel Sevilla, and I'll recite the poem for you first in Spanish and then in English. It goes like this. En mi casa hay una silla. Y cuando me siento en esa silla, me acuerdo de México, México. Y cuando me lavento de esa silla, se me olvida todo, todo. In my house, I have a chair. When I sit in that chair, I remember Mexico, Mexico. And when I leave that chair, I forget everything, everything. You can hear the music in the language. I mean, it's beautiful in English, but it's also just so lyrical in Spanish, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's a very lyrical language, Spanish. Yes, yes. So in this anthology that you have here, you have brought together just some extraordinary people uh, and young people and, and people who have had this refugee or this immigrant. Mm hmm experience. And I'd love for you to say something about how you, what is your experience in the healing properties of poetry? I mean, you know, most of us do not consider ourselves poets, and, and I don't even know how you get us started. <laughs> so, um, so these poems I did not help in the writing of. These were, we, my co-editor Alyssa Raymond and I f- found this material. I must say that the young, most successful poets in the United States today, they are predominantly poets of color, and many of them are immigrants and refugees themselves. So the, the names of, these, of the poets, Javier Zamora, Chen Chen, Emmy Mahmoud, Safia Elio, all poets in this book, they're some of the most successful poets 
writing today. Two California poets who have work in this book have just been nominated for the California Book Award. They are Mia Malhotra and Marcelo Hernandez Castillo. And they, they were, I mean, this is a prestigious California award. So it, we're, we're seeing a shift in who the poets are in our country and an appropriate uh, reflecting who we are as a country and who we are as a state in California. So these poems were all found fr from books or online. Many of the poets, well, maybe I shouldn't say many, some of the poets I know. And so I asked them directly if we could include their work and from that, we, we created this book. But to talk about the healing properties of poetry, see, see my goal in making, this book actually started a long time ago in my mind, which is an answer to a different question. Let's but, just remind our listeners, because to say the name of the book again. Ink Knows No Borders. Ink Knows No Borders. I love that. It's a wonderful title. It, ink, it doesn't. We, ink will go wherever, wherever there's a place to accept it. And um, the poetry is personal. It's specific. And part of my goal in making this book is we talk about immigration and we talk about migration and we get kind of blurred. We stop realizing that these are individual human beings with needs and histories and families and loves and longing and loneliness, just like all people. So what I wanted to do is to put a personal face on immigration. So we could see, when you listen to these poems, and I know we'll read some during the course of this program, you can't think of them in vague generalities. And that was really my goal. And that's the healing power of poetry. Well, let's let's do one right now, uh, and and the, uh, one that I I know that I loved and you love is about the grandmother in the in the bathroom. Okay, <laughs> great, yeah. great. And this um, this poem is from a poet who was born in Syria, and her name is um, Moja Kaf, and um, and I will um, I will read this poem for you. That is called, My Grandmother Washes Her Feet in the Sink of the Bathroom at Sears. My grandmother puts her feet in the sink of the bathroom at Sears to wash them in the ritual washing for prayer, wudu, because she has to pray in the store or miss the mandatory prayer time for Muslims. She does it with great poise, balancing herself with one plump matronly arm against the automated hot air hand dryer after having removed her support knee highs and laid them aside folded in thirds and given me her purse and her packages to hold so she can accomplish this august ritual and get back to the ritual of shopping for housewares respectable Sears matrons shake their heads and frown as they notice what my grandmother is doing, an affront to American porcelain, a contamination of American standards by something foreign and unhygienic, requiring civic action and possible use of disinfectant spray. They fluster about and flutter their hands, and I can see a clash of civilizations brewing in the Sears bathroom. My grandmother, though she speaks no English, catches their meaning and her look in the mirror says, 
I have washed my feet over Iznik Tile in Istanbul with water from the world's ancient irrigation systems. I have washed my feet in the bathhouses of Damascus over painted bowls imported from China among the best families of Aleppo. And if you Americans knew anything about civilization and cleanliness, you'd make wider wash basins anyway. My grandmother knows one culture, the right one as do these matrons of the Middle West. For them, my grandmother might as well have been squatting in the mud over a rusty tin in vaguely tropical squalor, Mexican or Middle Eastern, it doesn't matter which, when she lifts her well-groomed foot and puts it over the edge. You can't do that, one of the women protests, turning to me. Tell her she can't do that. We wash our feet five times a day, my grandmother declares hotly in Arabic. My feet are cleaner than their sink. Worried about their sink, are they? I should worry about my feet. My grandmother nudges me. Go on, tell them. Standing between the door and the mirror, I can see at multiple angles my grandmother and the other shoppers, all of them decent and good-hearted women, diligent in cleanliness, grooming, and decorum. Even now, my grandmother, not to be rushed, is delicately drying her pumps with tissues from her purse, for my grandmother always wears well-turned pumps that match her purse, I think, in case someone from one of the best families in Aleppo should run into her here in front of the Kenmore display. I smile at the Midwestern women, as if my grandmother has just said something lovely about them, and shrug at my grandmother as if they had just apologized through me. No one is fooled. But I hold the door open for everyone, and we all emerge on the sales floor and lose ourselves in the great common ground of housewares on Markdown. And that's by Moja Koff. I'm here with Patrice Vecchioni, and she is the author of Ink Knows No Borders. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. with Patrice Vecchioni, and she is the compiler of these poems of immigrant and refugee experiences called Ink Knows No Borders. And it's just an extraordinary collection that really gets us focused on a whole other aspect of these people. And in this day and time, I think that that's really important that we look look with fresh eyes and new eyes seen from another point of view. 
It's so important that we see from other points of view other than our own, because not everybody has lived the lives, of course, that we have lived. And if we are not a people of empathy and compassion as Americans, who are we? I think we're lost if we're not that. There is nothing more important than empathy and compassion. And we need to offer that, I think, to the people who are fleeing often desperate situations, wanting to come here. Nobody leaves home if home is a nurturing, supportive place. Right? We all, nobody, it's hard to leave home. I, don't, I, I wouldn't move unless I had to move. And these are people who in El Salvador and in Mexico, for example, may be fleeing gang violence where young men, young boys are taken into these gangs against their will and young women are made girlfriends of the gang members and, and they're not treated respectfully. They're raped and mistreated. So there's a reason people want to come. Exactly. And I, I think that one of the uh, people that really talk about the homeland, that moving, and that that's not easy. It's not easy at all. And home is, is not so much a house, but there's a land that we belong to. And this is uh, Craig Santos Perez. Right. And, you know, I mean, that is a, a, a large international problem, isn't it, that we've forgotten our links to the land. And he talks about this in his poem. Craig Santos Perez is a native Chamorro from the Pacific island of Guam. He's a poet, a scholar, a publisher, a critic, an artist, an environmentalist. So shall I read his poem? Oh, please. Off Island Chamorros. My family migrated to California when I was 15 years old. During the first day at my new high school, the homeroom teacher asked me where I was from. The Mariana Islands, I answered. He replied, I've never heard of that place. Prove it exists. And when I stepped in front of the world map on the wall, it transformed into a mirror. The Pacific Ocean, like my body, was split in two and flayed to the margins. I found Australia, then the Philippines, then Japan. I pointed to an empty space between them and said, I am from this invisible archipelago. Everyone laughed. And even though I descend from oceanic navigators, I felt so lost, shipwrecked on the coast of a strange continent. Are you a citizen? He probed. Yes. My island, Guam, is a U.S. territory. We attend American schools, eat American food, listen to American music, watch American movies and television, play American sports, learn American history, dream American dreams, and die in American wars. You speak English well, he proclaimed, with almost no accent. Isn't that what it means to be a diasporic Chamorro? To feel foreign in a domestic sense? 
Over the last 50 years, Chamorros have migrated to escape the violent memories of war, to seek jobs, schools, hospitals, adventure, and love. But most of all, we've migrated for military service. Deployed and stationed to bases around the world, according to the 2010 census, 44,000 Chamorros live in California, 15,000 in Washington, 10,000 in Texas, 7,000 in Hawaii, and 70,000 more in every other state and even Puerto Rico. We are the most geographically dispersed Pacific Islander population within the United States, and off-island Chamorros now outnumber our on-island kin with generations having been born away from our ancestral homelands, including my daughter. Some of us will be able to return home for holidays, weddings, and funerals. Others won't be able to afford the expensive plane ticket to the Western Pacific. Years and even decades might pass between trips, and each visit will feel too short. We'll lose contact with family and friends, and the island will continue to change until it becomes unfamiliar to us. And isn't that too? What it means to be a diasporic Chamorro, to feel foreign in your own homeland. And there'll be times when we feel adrift without itinerary or destination. We'll wonder, what if we had stayed? What if we returned? When the undertow of these questions begins pulling you out to sea, remember, migration flows through our blood like the aerial roots of the e Munumu. Remember, our ancestors taught us how to carry our culture in the canoes of our bodies. Remember, our people, scattered like stars, form new constellations when we gather. Remember, home is not simply a home, village, or island. Home is the archipelago of belonging. Mm. One thing that that reminds me of, even if we were born right here in, in the U.S., many of us are, are, are migrants from our own Roots where That's we right. were born, where where we grew up. Many of us have moved. We're we're just such a mobile place. And what he says there, what he points to, is that when we go home again to that land we explored as a kid, or or find those trees that we climbed as a kid, or walked those paths that we went to school in, or what whatever it was. That land has really changed. There are strip malls now. There's, there, this was torn down and this was built up. And, and even returning there is very different. And I think he really expresses something here that we, we must carry that homeland in a, in a different way. Cellular way. And in stories. We carry home in stories and poems. And he's carrying homeland in the canoe of his body, as he says, but he's also carrying home in his poem. And then we get to get a sense of his home sense, both in his body and where he came from through hearing his poem. And we're all, we're almost all in this country immigrants. Yes, of course, many of us are migrants, definitely. 
we're also we're we're immigrants. We are a country of immigrants. So when people say nobody else can come, well, what made it okay for your grandfather to come? What about your mother? Why was that all right? Was there, is there a cutoff here, an invisible line that says somebody can come? Is it because you're white you could come? Is it because they're brown they can't come? What's, you know, who gets to decide? And, you know, in that poem, he brings up another experience. And that's when the teacher says, oh, you speak English very right. well. So what about those children who are learning English and struggling with the language and diligent in their learning, but their accent maybe sounds different from mm. someone else's, like mine or someone else's, and the judgments that are just heaped on them. What, what do you have to say about that? You know, when I was a little girl, my family moved from New York City to um, Chicago and then to California, and I had a very thick New York accent as, a, as an 11-year-old girl, and I was teased mercilessly by the kids in Santa Cruz in my fifth grade class. That's just a tiny piece of what many children are, uh, suffer. And why would we want to sound the same is what it leads me to think. In this country, we used to have many accents. And because of television and social media, we've lost them. You can go, you know, to Texas and you're lucky if you hear somebody who has a Texas twang. You know, you, you go to New York City. Yeah, some people still have the accent, but a lot of people don't. And I love to hear an accent. Well, we're all, we talk different because we come from different places and that's our richness that we contribute to, to this culture. What do you find as far as these young people that you work with, or even all the adults that you work with, everyone that you work with, when the light bulb goes off and they realize that there's some opportunity for healing that comes from writing poetry? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it just happened to me on Saturday. I teach a class uh, through one of the OSHA programs. This is at Cal State Monterey Bay. And there are two students in my class. One is a woman, she's from India. And the other woman, her grandparents are from Japan. And they were both writing and they stayed after class. I'd gone home and one of them sent me an email. My student, Bela, sent me an email saying, Kathleen and I stayed late because we had so many things in common to talk about. What does it mean to be of two places? And she talks also about that feeling of being split. She describes it in a poem of riding two horses at once. You can't really do that. You can't straddle two horses at the same time. And how split she feels. Part of her is completely an American, and part of her is still from India. She still, she goes back every year for three months. So there she found another student in the class, and they read to each other. And she told me how much that experience helped her. Through this book, she was remembering things she has completely forgotten. And Kathleen, the student she was with, told a story about being in L.A. as a child and her parents looking for a new house and saying, no, we can't live in this neighborhood because this neighborhood is restricted. This was in the 1960s, mm. in the late 1960s or mid-1960s. 
that she, they, her family couldn't live where they wanted to because they were Japanese. And so writing is it's transforming. It's like, oh, wow, we're not so different from one another. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Patrice Vecchioni, and she is a compiler of Ink Knows No Borders, Poems of the Immigrant and Refugee Experience. And uh, this is also included, uh, Alyssa Raymond. Is, yes, is she's my co-editor. Uh, co-editor. Mm-hmm. That's so, right. Alyssa. Alyssa Raymond, yeah. Uh, Raymond. And um, if you want to know more about the work of Patrice in her workshops and her writing or blog, you can go to her website, patricevecchioni.com, and she spells her last name V as in Victor, E-C-C-H-I-O-N-E, Vecchioni, Patrice Vecchioni. Com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. Here with Patrice Vecchioni, and she, along with Alyssa Raymond, have edited this book of poems by immigrant and refugee people, and it's called Ink Knows No Borders. You used um, someone who is one of the poets that have contributed and forward to the book. So if you could tell us a little bit about Javier Zamora, yeah, and his poem also share it with us. His sure, poem. I'd love yeah. to. And and Javier was at the launch for Ink Knows No Borders at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and he was a really great person. He fled El Salvador at the age of nine, unaccompanied. His grandfather put him on a bus in El Salvador. And the goal was to come to his parents in the United States. So he went through Guatemala, Mexico, and the Sonoran Desert. And it took him um, quite a while to locate his parents. And I will read his poem, which will tell the story of part of his crossing. It's called Second Attempt Crossing for Chino. In the middle of that desert that didn't look like sand and only sand, In the middle of those acacias, whiptails, and coyotes, someone yelled, La Migra, and everyone ran. In that dried creek where 40 of us slept, we turned to each other, and you flew from my side in the dirt. Black-throated sparrows and dawn hitting the tops of mesquites. Against the herd of legs, you sprinted back toward me. I jumped on your shoulders, and we ran from the white trucks, then their guns. I said, freeze, Chino, para favor, so I wouldn't touch your legs that kicked you. You pushed me under your chest, and I never thanked you. Beautiful Chino, the only name I know to call you by. Farewell to your tattooed chest, the M, the S, 
the 13. Farewell to the phone number you gave me when you went east to Virginia and I went west to San Francisco. You called twice a month. Then your cousin said the gang you ran from in El Salvador followed you to Alexandria. Farewell, your brown arms that shielded me then, that shield me now from La Migra. In Javier's uh, biography, we quote him as saying that his poem, about his poem, that he wouldn't be here without the generosity, the humanity of someone like Chino. He says, please acknowledge the humanity of humans that take a wrong path, especially now when Central Americans continue to be dehumanized by this government. So Javier Zamora really had to leave El Salvador because young um, men and boys are being recruited to be members of gangs. And if they refuse, then they're killed or someone in their family is killed. And young women and girls in El Salvador are recruited to be the girlfriend of, of the gang leaders. And the same thing will happen to them or their families if they don't want to participate. And if they do participate, they're often raped. That's so not like you know Javier or his parents probably wanted to leave El Salvador, but they were forced to so that they could have humanity and freedom. And, you know, I think he really understands this man, Chino, as having not really had a choice that people will join a gang because they don't have a way to get out to do something else. And in a corrupt society, <laughs> there's, so, there's not much choice. In addition to writing that poem for our collection, Javier also wrote the foreword to the book. And I'd like to read a little bit from that. He said, because I was good at soccer, in part because I let my anger out on the soccer field, I got a fancy scholarship to attend a fancy high school. And he was only one of six Latinx students in an entire school of nearly 300. He was in high school when he says that I allowed poetry to discover me. My senior year English teacher devoted a full three weeks to the subject, bringing in a real-life poet, Rebecca Faust, who introduced me to Pablo Neruda, he said. And, and so it, it ended up being poetry that not only gave him a voice, but eventually ended up giving him a life. He got one of those visas, a visa because you, you're, you're offering something to the United States that nobody else can. And just this last summer when he was working on the foreword to this book, he went back to El Salvador for the first time in many years because he had to go to the embassy in order to be able to get his, his green card. It's called an EB-1 visa. That's what it is. And he went back and he, there he, and he said, I passed my visa interview and I'm currently I think he now has his passport. That, that he, he does have it because he just took a trip to Japan recently with his girlfriend. And um, he said that it was difficult to be in El Salvador, the place I wanted to return to, but hadn't, hadn't been able to for 19 years. And now he is this semester, he's a poet in residence at Harvard University. 
So talk about a contributor and right? I, just amazing. And, you know, he could have gone one way. He said he was working out his anger in sports, and yeah. then something happened. Neruda, you know, touched his heart. And, yep. and he also had a talent for it. He had a talent. Yes, yeah. he clearly has quite the talent. <laughs> yeah. Very, very fine yeah. writer. Yeah. I, yeah. I just I love that. That just reminded me. Of another poem, uh, I, there the, the book is just so filled with them, and the one about the allegiance. Do you remember that? Oh, I, by Sophia Elio. Yes, I would love to to oh, read that, that poem. Just really, you know, another perspective. When we in school, we we can remember maybe when we pledge allegiance to the flag of United States of America, oh, right? So forth and so on, and and this is kind of a little bit of a. Uh, homage to that. It is, it is. But with a different viewpoint. And um, so she comes from, um, her people come from Sudan. She's Sudanese-American. And um, Safia Elhilo is her name. And the poem is called Self-Portrait with No Flag. I pledge allegiance to my homies, to my mother's small and cool palms, to the gap between my brother's two front teeth, And to my grandmother's good brown hands, good strong brown hands, gathering my bare feet in her lap. I pledge allegiance to the group text. I pledge allegiance to laughter and to all the boys I have a crush on. I pledge allegiance to my spearmint plant, to my split ends, and to my grandfather's brain and gray left eye. I come from two failed countries, and I give them back. I pledge allegiance to no land, no border cut by force to draw blood. I pledge allegiance to no government, no collection of white men carving up the map with their pens. I choose the table at the Waffle House, with all my loved ones crowded into the booth. I choose the shining dark of our faces through a thin sheet of smoke, glowing dark of our faces slick under layers of sweat. I choose the world we make with our living, refusing to be unmade by what surrounds us. I choose us gathered at the lakeside, the light glinting off the water and our laughing teeth and along the living dark of our hair. And this is my only country. And I know that she she works now in Dafur, and she mentions something like somewhere in the book point she makes is that if a country such as Darfur is not headlined in the news, people think, oh, there's no more trouble there. There's nothing going on there. There's nothing to be concerned about. There are no refugees. There are no big camps of people starving and looking for water. And she's saying, because it's not in the news, so then we think it's all okay. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, there's so much going on in the world. Um, I think you were thinking of Emmy Mahmood. Oh, about, was that, that was Emmy. That was let me Emmy. read what okay. she said. Okay, which yes, is, thank you. The interesting thing about war is that people seem to think there's a particular start and end to the war, but in reality it's much messier. When Darfur was no longer on the front page of the New York Times every day, when people stopped talking about it in the big media outlets, people thought, oh, the war must have stopped. But the reality is we're still living it every day. 
And Emmy Mahmood is um, a goodwill ambassador. She was for 2018 for UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency. That's so beautiful. Isn't it? So we can feel overwhelmed by all of this, but, you know, we can uh, work with that which is close to us. We often talk about that in New Dimensions. That So when we feel overwhelmed, to look around in our own neighborhoods, yeah. our own what our city council, the legislation and the policies that they are um, putting forth now. And there's usually public comment and to go and to be on the microphone and to speak and to be inclusive of this larger community. That's right. That's right. You know, in my own town, I live in Monterey, but I live in a town called Delray Oaks. And our mayor for a number of years, many years, was a climate change denier. And because of the community coming out against him and wanting to recognize the reality of our planet, there's now a new mayor sitting in that that, that mayoral seat. And it just, it was just a few hundred people who, and probably really it was probably a few a dozen people probably who really did most of the work to help change. And we made, we now have a, a, a new progressive mayor who acknowledges the reality of science. <laughs> you know, so it doesn't really take a lot when you see something that's not right in your community. You really can have impact. I can think of uh, attending a city council meeting recently here in Santa Rosa. And there's a large Hispanic culture here. And it was something about housing. And there were quite a few Hispanic people coming to speak. And they only spoke in Spanish. And the city council did not provide a translator. Wow. And this young boy, 14-year-old boy, who was attending with his mother, stepped up to the microphone and did all the translation and I think the city council got it then from from now on that they will provide a, a, a Spanish translation yeah. for all those public meetings. And yeah. that felt good that we were able to say no more. Yeah, to make a change. To make a change. I'm here with Patrice Vecchioni, and she is the editor of a book of poems, Ink Knows no borders poems of the immigrant and refugee experience and if you want to know more about her work you can go to her website patricevecchioni.com she spells her name her last name v e c c h i o n e vecchioni and uh, you can also get there from get to her site from the new dimensions website newdimensions.org I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Patrice Vecchioni, and she is the compiler and the editor of Ink Knows No Borders, Poems of the Immigrant and Refugee Experience. And this hour long, as we're together, really is filled with poetry because it speaks for itself. We can talk <laughs> about it, but, but when we hear the poems, poetry is something of an oral tradition, you can read it on the page. It's very different to hear it, let it land on the ears. It's a very different experience. We don't experience. do that enough. You know, we don't, we don't, aren't read to like we used to be read to by people reading stories around the campfire, around the pot bellied stove. Um, I don't know about your mom, but my mom read me poetry. That's why I became a writer, was because my mom read me poems from the time I was a, an infant. Isn't that wonderful? And it carried over, and now here you are. So I would love for uh, you to share another really special, well, they're all special, but another special poem and describe who, who the writer is and, and what is this poem. So I'm going to, um, to read to you a poem by a man named Bao Fi. He's known as a spoken word artist. He's a poet, essayist, and activist. He was born in Vietnam, and he came to Minneapolis as a child with his family. He's a two-time Minnesota Grand Slam champion and a National Poetry Slam finalist. So his poem that is in Ink Knows No Borders is called Frank's Nursery and Crafts. The lines are long and my mom insists that the final amount is wrong. The cashier looks at the receipt and insists that it's right. My mom purses her lips, looks worried, says it's not right. The line of white people behind us groans. My mom won't look back at them. We both know what they're thinking. Small woman with no knowledge of the way things are in America. Though year after year she makes flowers bloom in the hood, petals in the face of this land that doesn't want her here. Finally, a manager comes, checks, and tells the cashier she rang up 22 plants instead of just two, overcharging us by $40. My mother holds my hand, leads me away without looking back at the line of white people who overhear and gasp, their sympathy won. If only I was old enough to tell them to keep it. It's not my mom's English that is broken. I love how he's in the little boy. He really, he's an adult writing this poem, but you really feel this little kid standing next to his mom in the store and how he must feel embarrassed and protective of his mother in this awkward situation. He must have just inside been so, felt that sense of the righteous, you know, vindication. Yes, yes. His mother, the strength of his mother <sighs> to stand. And when he says, she could feel the disgust of the women behind behind her mm -hmm. waiting because she's holding up the line. Right. And then she put her to stand her ground. And he even describes like her physical stature. Right. Like right. she's not a very she's big. She's a small woman. She's a yeah. small woman. So you, and you just get the whole picture and you can feel him at first cringing and feeling right. all of that pressure behind his mother and 
And then when he realizes that she was right, she did, she was vindicated. Oh, I know. So precious. So precious. Yeah. Yeah. You're just rooting there for, for this little boy and his yes, mom. Yes, yes, yes. So these are just a, a few of the examples of looking with other eyes at this culture that is assimilating into ours and bringing such richness. That's the thing, right? I think about my my grandfather came from southern Italy. He left a poor situation to come here to the United States. He helped to build the gates to Columbia University. Um, my father went on, got a PhD in psychology. And so every people who come from other places sometimes contribute the most because they have the most gratitude to be here in the United States with more options and, and freedom and choice. Um, everybody who comes brings, brings richness. So let's just talk just a little bit about white privilege and, and how... It's a kind of water that so many swim in that they don't even realize. Mm -hmm. So do you have anything to say about how we can convey to people the idea that such a thing exists and that they're missing something if we don't realize the waters we're swimming in? Yeah, to look around you. I mean, that's the biggest important thing, to take the tunnel vision and take those rose-tinted glasses off, whatever they are, and to see what the reality—these are poems from every place America— they're, they're every they're your neighbors you know they're the person who who teaches your child perhaps or or the boy who goes to school with your daughter these this is everybody and it really comes down to empathy to really to recognizing that all human beings have the same needs and desires we need safety and we need sleep and we need respect and food and I think that's the, the biggest thing. And that's one of the great things about this book and about poetry is that it does allow us a window, a very intimate window into people's lives where we can see that everyone is the same as everybody else, ultimately. How do you get people to even start to write poetry, Patrice? Well, it's one of my favorite things to do, Justine, I have to tell you. Um, I What I know is that you're the only one who can tell your story. You are the only one who can write your poem. For as much as we all do share the experiences of being human, our own stories are very much our own stories. And if you don't tell that story, it will never be told. Nobody knows the color blue on the sky that you saw that morning you were 10. No one else was there. You were by yourself looking up. So if you write that, then you bring yourself into the world in such a, a hu huge way because it's the depth of who you are. And I believe that the world is made of stories and poems and that we need them in order to be compassionate, tender human beings. So we don't have to worry about getting them published or no, anything. No, no, no. But, but, but it is nice to share them in a group. It is, or at least with one other person, you know, to, to read, to write a poem and then read it to one person who you trust. You have to be very careful when it comes to that point. And you have to say, I only want you to tell me what you like about this poem or just listen. 
And then you'll see that person gets a knowing smile because they know what that sky looked like because actually they were in the next town over looking at that same sky when they were 10 years old too or whatever whatever it is. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm uh, for the moment right now in my life, I am obsessed with this rock that was on, that was in the yard, my grandmother's yard, that I spent years and years and years on in this property in Alabama, and there was this rock. And my cousin was recently there, and I asked her to take a picture of that rock to go to that place. And she did, but she didn't take it very well, and you can't see the rock. It's oh. dark, and it's so... And I'm just obsessed about this rock. I dreamed about it then afterwards, and I don't know what it is. But sitting here with you, I realize I'm going to have to write a poem about that rock. Because you have that rock. You don't need the photograph. <laughs> oh, see? Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. That, so t- say more. So you have that rock. It's, it's in your possession. It's in your memory. And it's whole and beautiful. And not only that, you have it with your child's eyes. And your child's eyes were seeing for the first time. They were fresh and they were accepting and they were curious and they were non-judgmental. So you could bond with this rock in a way that if you'd seen it for the first time as an adult, you probably would never have. I love it. I love it, Patrice. And I I know the sanctuary that that rock was and that nobody else in my family even noticed it or ever sat on it. And I would go sit on it. And it had a little indentation in it where you, on the end of it, where it looked like it was like a seat. And it fit you perfectly. It fit me perfectly. I, I love that. And so I'm going to I'm going to write that poem and that's that's really what you do. You really help people to bring those personal That's right. stories that we we own. It's part of us. And we have more of our life when we tell our stories. We we live more deeply in our life. Anais Nin said that she wrote to taste life twice. And that's what we get to do. We have the original experience, and we have all these reflections um, on them. And that's why I teach these writing workshops, because people have aha moments every time, every time they write with me. They're I didn't know I knew that, because you know more than you know you know. And you won't know what it is until you sit down and write it. And feel free to do that and not judgmental and not have to do it perfectly. And it gives voice, doesn't it? It sure does. I have rules for writing, and the first rule is that what you write does not have to make sense, right? And the second one is don't plan what you're going to write. Allow yourself to be surprised by your own imagination. And I know that you describe in one of your blogs how people will kind of look off in the distance in the middle of their writing. Mm -hmm. It's like they're just tapping into that place. Yeah. Patrice, I want to thank you so much for being with us today on New Dimensions. Thank you, Justine. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Patrice Vecchioni, and she is the compiler of Ink Knows No Borders, Poems of the Immigrant and Refugee Experience, and her co-editor is Elisa Raymond. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, patricevecchioni.com, and she spells her last name V. E-C-C-H-I-O-N-E, patricevicchioni.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. 
I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3673. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.